Welcome to Into Theology, and this time we're both here. Last time we recorded, and it was just me, which was Sorry. amazing. It was the best conversation I ever had, actually. Yeah. Really With wise and intelligent. Sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> well, we're back after, I think, about two months of hiatus, roughly. It's been a bit of a hiatus. I don't know. Has it been two months? Well, I think we were in October 20, I don't know, 21st, It's uh, or sorry, August 21st. Yeah, about two months, actually. Time Whoa, flies. Wait a second. Okay, I'm going to pull up the website here. When's the last time we recorded? It was, oh my goodness, dude, August 23rd? Yeah, so rough, not quite full two months, but close wow. to it. Wow, okay, didn't feel, I, I'm sorry, It's again, it's my fault, so it's my fault, but like. Well, <clears throat> I was busy too, I was teaching and all that. So we have, I, yeah. I have a couple of bonus episodes we'll release to kind of help, uh, catch people back up yeah um and you're featured in one of them but also Ooh. the great dr sean wilhite is in the other one this is uh when you were teaching at sembeck yeah exactly what well, and it's it's a whole story so i'll explain it later but it didn't end up being sembeck but it's awkward to tell you the whole story on a podcast so i'll tell you later <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> fair enough uh oh yeah and we're looking at thomas aquinas's summa and we are in question 14 of book one which is on God's knowledge. And to kick us off, the right reverend, Dr. Regis Philbin. Regis Philbin. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second, what does that make you? That makes you um, <laughs> Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> yes, of course. Whatever. She rocks. I'm not ashamed. She's a Christian, at least. So there's something. Uh, you're going to read, what is this, from Article yep. 1 and the Reply to Objection 2? <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of a neat little summary and also goes into some kind of fun things about the categories of, of what knowledge is. So, yeah, cool. Question 14, uh, looking at the knowledge of God, which is, you know, something like in all of these things, very difficult to kind of wrap our own minds around. Uh, yep. And so uh, we're looking at um, the reply to objection two that Thomas gives uh, from the first article. So if you're following along in the Peter Kreeft uh, edition of the Summa. Uh, this is on the top of page 136. So, and this is just helpful because he's just kind of like explaining kind of how knowledge works. Um, so in reply to objection two, he says, whatever is divided and multiplied in creatures exists simply and unitedly or exists in God simply and unitedly. Now, man has different kinds of knowledge according to the different objects of his knowledge. Um, he has intelligence as regards uh Wait, sorry, did I say that right? Now, man has different kinds of knowledge according to the different objects. Of <laughs> Do you his... have intelligence? Well, it's it was weird because it was like a capital H there, but <laughs> no, it, I know. You know, it should have said God's. Should I re should I reread this? I like how this is going. I think you should just Thanks. carry on. I think it's really clear. Okay. And so now, man has different kinds of knowledge according to the different objects of his. That is God's knowledge. Uh, he has intelligence as regards the knowledge of principles. He has science as regards knowledge of conclusions. He has wisdom according as he knows the highest cause. He has counsel or prudence according as he knows what it is to be done. But God knows all these by one simple act of knowledge. Okay, so makes sense given what, what has already been said in the earlier parts of the Summa in that God's simple and he's one. So that means that he can't have knowledge in any kind of like a divided fashion. So, you know, I have knowledge of a tree and I have knowledge of a bird in the tree. And that's like two different kinds of knowledge that reside in my mind. And there's distinctions between them. Uh, but because God is simple and he's one, he can't have those kinds of distinctions. And so then Thomas really in, in, in much of this uh, of question 14 is going to kind of be wrestling through like, what does it mean for a simple being like God 
to know different types of things in a way that doesn't violate his divine simplicity. And so then that's basically what he's going to be addressing, especially in Article 1, but then throughout the rest of this section. Mm -hmm. And in case someone's listening and says, oh, that was a podcast from four months ago. It's not as sharp in my mind as it could have been. Yeah. A really easy illustration for me is like, if I have a, say a coffee mug in front of me, for me to know this coffee mug, I look at it, I think about it for a little bit. I make a little image in my brain and I've abstracted the shape of this thing from the actual stuff of it. So it gets separated and then recombined in my mind. It's just, it's a bit of a technical way to put something that's super straightforward. You see something, the coffee mug's in my brain, my mind, even though the real coffee mug's out there, but it's abstracted. I have the shape in my brain, my mind, even though the actual stuff is out there. So there's a sense in which my thinking is complex by definition. Yeah. God just knows stuff because he made it. Yeah, so that's, that's it, the, I mean, that's a really basic illustration, but it kind of helps me to just think about how it's actually just common sense, even though the language makes it feel like it's really elevated. Yeah, it's like when you look at that coffee mug, that matter of the coffee mug can't reside in your no. brain, right? It can't go into it. There's no but porcelain idea, in your mind. Right, there's no porcelain or whatever, no coffee. Um, but the idea of it does come into the mind. And the idea right. is what corresponds to the thing like that, that's a form. And so you would say that the form of the coffee mug resides in your mind. And, uh, and therefore then you actually can know it. And so it's weird. Cause like, it's like, yeah, the mind abstracts it. It accesses that form through its matter, abstracts it into the mind. Uh, and then right. that qualifies as what's called knowledge. Yeah. You, you see something with your eyes, the, your brain organ kind of conceptualizes it then your mind, your inner self sort of creates, I think he calls it a phantasm technically. Phantasm. Yeah. But like, when, it's just memory. So whenever you're thinking about a coffee cup, you know that the coffee cup might be at Starbucks, but it's in your mind in a real way. Yeah. It's not actual plastic or uh, uh, fluid. So that's what so happens. He, but God just knows everything. I think he different dif like because he talks about at some point. I don't think it's in here, but he talks about like various like senses in the soul. You know. Yeah. And so like he, you know, the primary sense of the soul is is what you just said there, common sense, right? Um, the, it's like it's a knowledge that's spontaneous that just kind of enters into your mind. You just know you know that something right. is a thing just by common sense. The phantasm is like the is that image or the idea that of that object, like you were saying, that actually enters into your mind yeah. as a phantasm or an idea and then but imagination is a little bit different because um imagination is actually like after the fact or or no before the fact where you can actually like think about right. something you can imagine some something exists, but it doesn't have to exist in reality you can actually take two material things like a horn and a horse and you can combine them in your imagination uh and you can create an, a unicorn but that unicorn doesn't exist in its own reality which right? illustrates another thing that sounds really complicated but is real simple for a second so i can imagine a horse it means that there's some, there's a real horse idea there yep but it doesn't have to exist it could just be exactly. a and it could yeah. be in a video game or something you know yeah so there's yeah, a, I mean, there's a any thought of a horse like i'm i'm thinking because you've used that term it's like i'm thinking of a horse but right. i don't i'm not thinking of a particular one that i could no, there's a right. real there's a real shape form image in yeah. your head whatever you want to call it and that image is is real in a, in a sense but it doesn't have to exist in the real in, in the material world so there's yeah. a distinction between essence and um actuality or existence or possibility and actuality or potentiality and actuality depending on which terminology you want to use and how technical you want to be
Yeah. Um, at the le- there's like, he has two other senses too. Like at the level of like kind of things like judgment. So like being able to judge between good or bad, safe or harmful, whatever is what, what is called the estimative sense. So you can estimate, make estimations about things. And then memory, what you had brought up memory is something that like you have that image. So, you know, I look at my coffee cup now, then I go home the idea or the phantasm of the coffee cup, that sensory image is in my, in my mind. And then I can conjure it. I can think about it. And while that thing still exists, it's not present to me in the moment, but nevertheless, I have the idea of it still in my head, in my mind. And if you're um, reading like a fiction book, everyone knows this when you're done, you kind of imagine what happened. And it, yeah, it's not yeah, exactly. It's real in the sense of it's a real imagination that you have, but it doesn't exist in the real world as we understand it. So there is a distinction there. Um, we kind of went for a long time on this, but I just feel like sometimes I like to remind <laughs> it wasn't people, even in the book itself. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel like sometimes you are read Thomas and the language that he uses sounds very technical. But when you just sit back, it's the most common sense thing in the world that if I see a coffee mug, the real glass of the mug is not in my mind, but what's there is the image of it, the phantasm of it. And I've abstracted in the literal sense of abstracted the image of the material thing itself. And therefore there's, and I have to recombine it and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, that's, that's with us, right? Like God's not like that at all. Like God is not like that because he has no sensor. Like he does not, there's no nose or eyeballs in God. So yeah. he doesn't have to see the glass and then touch it to really know what it is. He just knows it already because he is the creator. Well, it's interesting, right? Because that's it's sort of what Thomas gets into in here where he talks about, I think it's, yeah, it's here an article in the first article on 134, where he makes this kind of comment that like th- that, that the more material something is, the less knowledge it has, the more immaterial something is, the more knowledge it's capable of having, right? Because because matter uh, individuates like a form, right? So it limits these things. So a plant, which is entirely material, uh, has form in terms of basic life, like its soul, but it doesn't have anything beyond that. So a form, uh, the, the plant actually doesn't have any kind of knowledge um, because it's most material. It is something like a rock is like even more material, has no knowledge whatsoever. But then you like move up this kind of like chain of, of life and uh, when you get to like animals, they have more immateriality about them, meaning they have a kind of greater knowledge that they can access the external world, us with the rational soul. And then when you get to God, who doesn't have any matter at all, he's pure immaterial being. Therefore, <laughs> his, his knowledge is because his, because he's not individuated by any kind of matter. That means he's technically right. infinite. He's not limited. And therefore, that it means his knowledge is then limitless. You, and he you know does really he, and because he's outside of space. Hold on, because he's outside of space and time. That means then that there's no that, that he's he's not like there's no before and after. Meaning he doesn't learn anything. Meaning he just knows everything instantaneously. He doesn't learn. He right. just knows. And that's because he knows himself first. Primarily, like he knows himself exhaustively. And so when he knows things, he knows those things pri- uh, in in relation to who he is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This reminds me a lot of um, <laughs> mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. the modalities of uh, what's the the neo Calvinist guy's name, the philosopher from Toronto, uh, Duryavird. Oh, he's, uh, oh, he's not from he's, Toronto. He's well, from, he from Amsterdam. Yeah. What, okay. Sorry. Um, he had this whole this whole modality chart where he goes from like rock all the way up to God. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, modal aspects. And, I mean, there's like to a certain degree, he's not wrong. I just don't appreciate the way he categorizes things <laughs> it's just not very memorable <laughs> it, it's hard to keep in, in your yeah, it's head hard, it's hard to positives keep it, keep and the negatives mind. and like, what is going on here and how many are there and uh, whatever but let's not talk about, so let's what, talk about what you just said though is 
something that Aquinas believes, then he expands on it a little bit. Because it's not the case that he just knows himself exhaustively, but he knows all of his own images or ideas exhaustively. So, yeah. for example, um, on page 139, which is the eighth article, he has this analogy that God is the cause of all things, like an artist is of his art. You may yeah. think of a painter in his, in his painting. And then earlier he talks about how, in the page prior, how God has these sort of images in him of all things that he would make. And this is... Um, the first time I've ever seen this analogy would be in a, in Origin of Alexandria, who's trying to say, look, all the things that are created, all the many things in this world, God already knew them outside of time before creation, because they were in him as, uh, you might say, images or words, or logi is eventually what they're called. And it's sort of the Christian version of the philosophical idea that there are these, you might say, immaterial forms that brings shape to, to the rest of reality because what it, what Plato and Plainness thought about kind of makes sense, but they really needed to know the personal God to really understand how the forms hold all things together more or less. So it seems like that's kind of what he's getting at. It makes sense, right? When you're thinking at the level of a form, like what does a form do? It's like a form acts upon matter to make the thing what it is. Right. And a form is what it's an idea. So if God knows things, he has these idea, uh, right? what things are going to be and then it's causal right so his knowledge of something which which as thomas says is like an act like the act of god's intellect is his substance and so when god is knowing something he's acting on it to make it real um, right and therefore then it's it's knowable it's intelligible it's a real thing what sort of reminds me of like romans one where paul says <clears throat> basically anyone can know that god exists in his divine power that he's the creator of all things through the things that are made so i think so a lot of people realize there must be some power out there there must be a creator because things are made, but they would often talk about it like Plotinus more abstractly, like the one and then all these different forms and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, Christians by revelation know that that's God. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too that uh, Aquinas he is very Augustinian in his understanding of knowledge of the future, God's knowledge of the future. How does he know the future? I mean, he says, for example, in 139, that the knowledge of God is the cause of things. It's what God's know, what God knows is. He'll continue to talk about uh, contingency and free choice and all that kind of stuff. But the idea is that God knows the end from the beginning because he is outside of time, as you said. And all things are, what is the terminology? It's simultaneously present, I guess. Yeah. Bo Boethius's thing. What does he say yeah, again? The, the notion of an eternal present. Eternal presence, but he said all things are present to him simultaneously, eternally, or I can't remember. He has a phrase that's kind of famous. Um, it's that idea. So is is Thomas Aquinas a Calvinist or did he reject John Calvin's Reformation? Sounds like he's a, actually a Molinist here, right? Because okay. he knows contingent acts or contingent, <clears throat> you know, things that are contingent. Uh, no, I mean, we, we were talking a little bit about this before before we started recording, right? That there are there are some ways of kind of like viewing this that leads you into a kind of fatalism. And Thomas, I think, does a good job at like preserving against that. God knows all things as they actually are, but he also knows things in terms of the potentiality. And potentiality, at least in theory, can be limitless, right? Because right. anything could potentially happen. And, uh, and in this sense, God knows infinite things like the, you know, not in the literal yeah. like divine nature, you know. Yeah. And because because he know like so the idea that Thomas is going to kind of work through here is that like God doesn't know 
like the all these individual things uh and that that's like the primary locus or source of what his knowledge is the source of his knowledge is he knows himself exhaustively and in right. an immediate sense right like I mean, and in him are all the images of all the all everything that's ever been and uh, so so by by virtue of knowing himself right. exhaustively as like say the creator or the first cause that means then he knows all of the effects or what he's made because he's the one that made them and so therefore of course he knows the all all these various different types of things all these you know um individual things um but he knows them primarily as he knows himself in the most kind of right. like pure simple way and Can I give so a terrible il illustration oh this would be good yeah <laughs> You're, so if Russ, you're actually willing to admit that this is a terrible yeah, it's, one it instead is terrible. of all the ones that you pretend are great, uh, but they yeah, are yeah. terrible. Yeah, all good. the ones that I pretend are great are often terrible. Um, <laughs> the So for us, something happens and our memory captures and we think backwards. It's almost like for God, his memory is everything that is. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's like he, yeah. he remembers what hasn't yet happened from our perspective. But that's simply because he's outside of the order of space and time and all that kind of stuff. But we kind of think of like prediction, like God's thinking like, if, uh, you know, there'd be a billiard ball that will hit another ball and go into a pocket. It's almost the sequence of events yeah. in time. But that's how we think about the future. And then we remember like the way that we think of the past in terms of memory is it, in a terrible way. <laughs> the way that God just knows everything else. It's already there present in him. So he already knows, you know, what will happen in 2024 and this and that because it's already known to him because he knows himself. And by knowing himself, he knows the images, the uh, earlier Greek theology calls them the logi of all things, the the rational structure of all things. Yeah. And it's just present and knowledgeable to him. He knows the end from the beginning, even our contingent or free choices, as Thomas says in Article 13 on page 141. And interestingly enough, without exception, uh, there might be some modern writer, but in the Reformed era, I can't think of any exception to a reformed thinker who would disagree with that statement that mm. God knows our contingent free acts. They all affirm what we call uh, free choice. Um, free choice. Yes. Free choice. There's a, there's a whole. The distinction between free will versus free yes. choice. Yeah. Yeah. There's, but, now, the one exception I'll just say, because everyone always brings it up, is uh, Martin Luther's on the freedom of the will. So it's actually right. called, I think it's actually titled on free choice in Latin. Um, no, no, Luther's is uh, on the bondage of the will. On the bondage, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, it was Erasmus that wrote the freedom right. of the will. <laughs> okay, I might be a little tired, but I have another terrible <laughs> illustration, so this will help. But you have uh, so many bags under your eyes right now. <laughs> I'm actually super tired. My, my wife and I decided, well, let's get up at like 6 a.m. so we can spend time with each other you know, before the kids get up. Which yeah. is great, but then I went to bed at like midnight, so now I'm <laughs> like, oh, I'm dying at the end of the day. Um, so great idea. It is a good idea. You should spend time with your wives. Um, just you get tired. Um, all I have to say is, in, in his his argument is squarely against the idea that you can do acts of condign merit in order to re be receive a required reward from God. But he, but he elsewhere will admit that of course you can do free choice in terms of going left and right and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. His right-hand man, Philip Melanchthon, the theologian of Luther, he might put it, yeah. definitely affirms that. So I think reading Luther trips you up because he's so polemical. But the Reformed, in general, affirmed the freedom of human contingency, free choice. And it was also said to be enabled because God uh, is the first cause of all of our choices. So God's right. causality enables our causality. And the reason why, and I'll shut up after this, 
is because when you say that God is the first cause of all things, what you're really saying is he's outside of the order of space and time and of human causality. He's not a cause as we think of it. Right. There's no material yeah, causation. We, we, only, we can only actually hear, experience secondary or subsequent. You can causality. only experience. So, so whenever someone's trying to find like a God particle or like, did God actually move the wind this way? You literally can't find that if you're looking at it for in terms of material. Like you just see the material cause. Yeah. But that's because it's an invisible, immortal, eternal, outside of our order of space and time cause. Ergo, therefore, God can enable our free choice outside of our ability to comprehend causality. Right. Because we think, well, if God did this, then I did this. But that's not how it works. God didn't do that. So he did that. There's no way you can point that out. It's he is the first cause. That's all you can say. And therefore, we're the effect of the first cause in every way. So even Aquinas really mentions that as, uh, as God knows all things as the first cause, as the as the artificer of the art and so on. He's, he's making that similar point. But it's important to, to realize because um, fatalism is bad. Really bad. It's a really boring way to live that your choices don't matter because, you know, it's usually pious sound. He said, well, God's in control. So who cares? It's like, or God will just take care of it. So whatever. Yeah. What do you talk? I mean, why do you think the Bible is so full of warnings, encouragements, uh, promises, punishments? Why in the world would God do all that? And you're like, well, he uses, you know, secondary. He does his means. But that's just for the bad people. I'm a Christian now and, and God just does it. So everything's going to fail. Everything will succeed. It doesn't matter what I do. And you're like, well, you, you've really then just thought about things from God's perspective and forgot that you're a human being. Yeah. You shouldn't do that. It's it's yeah. sort of, it's embarrassingly, it's embarrassing, but it's also boring. And if you take it too far, it's pretty much the original heresy. Um, not quite the proto-original heresy, but it's well, it can be. It's 100s. like, well, the, she made me do it, you know? Well, oh, yeah. God made me do it, you know? I was thinking like, more of like some of the earlier me? Gnostic myths that removed oh, uh, I see. choice. But you're right, yeah. So I know there's earlier ones, like did Christ come in the flesh and all that, but really early on the 100s, Christians as a whole reject fatalism and they don't stop. Yeah. Fatalism is viewed as, at least to them, a form of heresy. And I think, uh, I don't know if I want to use that word today, but it is, it gets real close. Yeah. Because it's it's an antinomian way of thinking because, you, because your motivation is all gone. You just think you can't do anything. I mean, God, like you got to think about it, right? Like God is all powerful. He's omnipotent. So that means then that he's capable of creating beings that are free moral agents that in, that in no way violate his providence, his absolute control of things, right? So he can actually make humans that are in his image. And because we're his image, that means we reflect some of those characteristics of him, including things like freedom. Our freedom is not absolute, only God's is, but we have freedom, and uh, and and we want to make distinctions between what do we mean by free choice? Like when Luther's getting into like the bondage of the will stuff, he's talking about like he's not denying that like the will is free to choose a coffee over a cup of tea. What he's saying is, is that when it comes to like actually being able to like turn to God and actually like know God and be saved by him, that's something God has to do first because we're sinful. And so that free will that we have has been affected by sin in this moral way. And that affects my ability to choose the good or choose God. Um, but it doesn't affect the other aspects of my free A carpenter will. can make a perfect cut. He has the perfect knowledge of the math and the angle. And he does, yeah. you know, a good, like a, the choice is right in that sense. Yeah. 
Um, and when it comes to like the question of like God knowing like future contingent things, like, so he knows things in terms of their actuality, but he also knows things in terms of their potentiality because he created the material universe. And because matter is the place of change or becoming or potentiality, uh, God knows every possible thing that can come out of any right, other matter right. that he created. And some of those things he will actualize himself to make real, but he knows all the other things that it could be. So it seems like when we think about the Molinism question, right, that that God only has a kind of, a, um, what is it, medioscientia or middle knowledge, that um, um, it's almost like to the exclusion of the actual. And uh, I don't think we want to do that. Like Thomas says on the bottom of one page 141, uh, so on his I answer that for um, the 13th article. Uh, you know, so, you know, the question is whether the, whether the knowledge of God is a future contingent things. He says, I answer that since as was shown above in answer nine, God knows all things, not only things actual, but also things possible to him and the creature. And since some of these are future contingent to us, as you noted, uh, it follows that God knows contingent things, right? He knows things right. that either it could be or not be. Um, if, if you think about it, he has to, <laughs> like, Right. Otherwise, you're just denying something about God uh, in terms of those attributes that we've looked at, like he's eternal. You well, know, he's just clarify things. what you just said, because if you say he does not know what actually happens, but only what may happen, it requires that he is in the order of time as we are. Right. Or similar to how we are, at least. Um, he'd have to be part of the created order. So you, it makes him a creature by by logical demonstration so it's, it's it is a problem uh, and one of the interesting things uh, because i just taught on the doctrine of god it, it's really interesting to me that the doctrine of eternal generation procession immutability impassibility omnipresence uh and all these kinds of ones they're all the same doctrine right you, they have to like, be you, you can't right simplicity but like in the literal sense you can't just deny one because you deny the others right if god is not simple then there's a there might be a complex generation of the sun, and by inference, then God is us uh, is parts like cutting a salami yes, in half. Himself is um, you know, it's, but that's not what the Bible says. He says God is one, according to Deuteronomy six four. So you have to deny that. So it's just really interesting that they're all the sort of the same doctrine. So you almost see this repeated in Thomas, like when he goes to all these different questions about God's knowledge, he's just saying the same thing, but applying it to a different question. Yeah, you know, God is simple applied to knowledge. So. Do you want to say something smart? I feel like I no, no, I've been I'm rambling about dumb things in terms of like middle knowledge, right? So I'm looking. I'm just looking at a definition of it. So knowledge of the just go to Wikipedia. Troubles. Yeah, no, I'm actually looking at uh, you know Bernard Bellner, however you say his name, his uh, dictionary of scholastic philosophy. So Molina uh, and others. Go to Wikipedia. No, come on, give me Wikipedia. So I leave that to my students. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't leave it to my students. They're not allowed to make that. <laughs> uh, but it's this idea of it's a mode of a divine knowing that is intermediate between his necessary and free knowledge and between his knowledge of possibles by simple understanding and his knowledge of existence by vision. Um, that's not helping me. <laughs> so um, whatever. Um, but it, no, it, it, makes, it, it makes it makes sense, right? So what what do, uh, what do we what do we what are we affirming? It's like God is simple; He's one. That means that the knowledge that He has is not a kind of divided knowledge within Him. Why? Well, He knows Himself primarily first and exhaustively. Uh, that means He knows Himself as the Creator and the cause of all things. So therefore, He knows those things because He is the Creator of them. So His knowledge of Himself is what right. you know is the is the means by which then He knows 
the, the, the individual things of the creation. But that's not a violation of divine simplicity. It's actually a preservation of it. Right. And then, um, uh, and so because he's created this universe that has all the potentia within it, then he knows all the future contingencies of what that matter could could or could not be. Um, and he's the one who will ultimately be the one to actualize everything. So he knows it in its actuality or in terms of its being, but he also knows it in terms of what it could or could not be. Um, and it's uh, interesting. He also talks about how God knows evil things too. I was about um, to bring that up because that's kind oh, of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. What were, what were you going to say? Uh, well, first of all, great minds think alike and also terrible minds. So you just never know. Um, yep. The, uh, I, I, just <laughs> that's think I never thought of that. Great minds think alike. Terrible minds think alike. Too. Yeah, yeah. So the, the problem is like we might be the terrible minds right now. I feel terrible, but uh, I look terrible. That's actually bad news white, for you. Like this white sun, like the sunlight is just pouring into my office. Well, right it's your angelic nature. You're pure form just like the angels are. That's and right. yet, you know, things was a complexly unlike God who knows things, even though he's pure <laughs> form. Right. Um, yeah, we're like the only two people in our circles who can make that joke because it's so stupid. Um, the, no, it's so smart that it's so stupid. Yeah, you know, yeah, the problem Ryan like, Hurd would probably come along is, and correct the you joke. You get Ryan Hurd to make these dumb jokes, but he would correct us. He'd be like, uh uh uh, uh. <laughs> you missed this Latin funny. article somewhere in a <laughs> yeah. preposition or something. Um, and then we'd be blown away by it. <laughs> and we'd be like, whoa, there was the preposition of <laughs> it was from, uh, yeah. So evil is interesting. So does he explains God knows evil. He has to know everything. But how does he know evil? Well, based on the nature of what evil is, evil is the privation of the good. It is the simplest way to put it is you're it's not doing what you know to be right. That's yeah. what evil is. So you should respect human life, but instead you kick a grandma in the shin. That is not a new thing that's created. God did not create evil. Uh, but he but so you, okay go back to images and phantasms right <laughs> phantasm of you kicking an old lady whack <laughs> why what are you doing well i'm i've 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 not reached the good i privated the <laughs> it's an illustration grandma <laughs> i wanted to teach people about privation <laughs> so almost jokes are the best jokes ever yeah. but i mean that's just I mean, it's a really good definition because if you think no that's so silly you know Evil has to be, you can't say it's a privation. It has to be something. And then you ask the next question. Okay, if it's something, what created that thing? And you're like, well, humans. And then that denies creation ex nihilo. God created everything out of nothing. And then if or if you say God, then you have to affirm that God created evil. But everything that is created is in God. And therefore evil is in God. So you're a, a big dum-dum. Yep. So you have to think about what evil is well, based evil, on all the things evil the is formless, God right? It has no form, and we know things by knowing their forms. And so e evil, by definition, is formless because it's a privation of that which is good. Yeah, it's formless and void, you might say. It's So I, I think it's one of those things where the, the teaching that evil is a privation of the good, I think, trips people up. But then you have to ask the follow-up question, if evil is a thing in the world, who created that thing? And you really have to say it's God, unless you believe that humans can create things out of nothing. But if you believe that, that's a problem. Biblically, yeah. biblically that's kind of outlawed. Well, it may and be if God. You, and then if you say evil is in God, then you are in bigger doo-doo. You're basically a, um, a Manichaean at that point. <laughs> like, there's a lot of issues if you believe that. So really the only conclusion based on when you read the whole Bible and you understand what the Bible says about God, you have to conclude that evil is not a created thing. Therefore, it's no thing. And yet it exists somehow, as Herman Bovink says. So how does it exist? It exists in the mode of privation. It is mm -hmm. not doing what is right. Uh, it is denying the good. It is, you know, telling the and truth is right, but you kind of 
give a half truth. We call that a lie. Typically, that's evil. It's not and doing e what is good. E evil is like uh, the, the is a name that we give to something that actually kind of doesn't have existence, right? So it's it's weird in that sense. Um, the mode so of existence of no thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but you, you have to say evil. Weird. So it's it's a weird semantic thing. You, you have to say evil's real because it is. Yeah. You have to say it exists in a sense, but then you have to say, well, it has no, it's no thing. It's no substance. It's not created. It is literally no thing. Yeah. More, most technically, it's the privation of a good thing, and therefore it has no existence. And yet, it would be silly for us to be like so technical, you can't just say evil's real because that's just common sense. <laughs> we, yeah. we have to have a, a way to talk about it. Yeah, because when you like you think of it, right? If evil is a privation of the good or an absence of the good, so God is the good. So he's pure goodness itself. And any kind of movement away from him is something that we would describe as evil. And evil in the most kind of absolute sense is that which is most far away from God, who's the good. But God is also pure being. So some, for something to be far away from God uh, is something that moves away from being and into absolute nothingness. And so like Augustine says in, in City of God, evil has no positive nature, but the loss of good has received the name evil. So it's just like a it's a word we use to describe the loss of that, which is good or the loss of God. <laughs> which is why I think evil, uh, this is just a, maybe an odd thought to kind of end on, but evil, when reflected upon, it makes you feel forlorn, like you've missed something. Yeah. Well, it creates a, it creates a disorder, right? It creates a disorder. But when you, yeah, when you, there, there's something missing when you do evil. And I think that's, that tells us because we've not done something whole. Yeah. So a broken relationship tells you that you haven't loved. So it's, it's interesting then, right? The way in the 10th article here on page, uh, what is it, 140, you know, whether God knows evil things, he says, I answer that a thing is knowable in the degree in which it is. So in, in the degree, degree of which it has being. And, you know, anything that has being uh, has some sort of a goodness to it because being is right. good. Uh, so he says, if a thing is noble in the degree in which it is, hence, since this is the essence of evil, that it is the privation of good, by the very fact that God knows good things, he knows evil things also, as by light is known uh, darkness. So, you know, right. obviously, I'm in a very lit up room right now, given like my face glowing. Your angelic nature. Right. But if I was Arthur to like, Herald if I was to Ian sing, that's right. Glory uh, to the new very Lord. angelic Casper, the friendly ghost, maybe, but super white. <laughs> we talk about Casper at one point. On we a, did. On yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. Was. Probably. I can't Might remember. Have been in the yeah, same Casper. context. Casper was a, in the same context. Maybe. <laughs> no, no, it was like an illustration of something. And it, it was, was it was one that I gave. It was my one non-terrible illustration. It was just, it didn't connect with the kids because, uh, <laughs> no one watches oh, yeah. Casper. I don't remember what this was now. See, now my memoria or my memory is not working yeah. great. But, um, but well, if this I, room was completely dark, right. it would just mean that there was an absence of light because darkness isn't a thing, but light right. is. You and know, so it because we can know darkness yeah. by the absence of what we know to be light, right? Yeah. And so, in that same sort of way, it's almost like an indirect kind of knowledge where, like, God knows evil things not because they actually exist, but because they're a privation because He knows the good because He knows Himself. Uh, then he knows which is not good, which is not himself. And which so, is why the, the best way for us to know evil today is to know only good. Right. And the best way for us to know to know uh to know good in the future is to know only good and not evil. Yeah. Not even the that the absence is possible. So that'll be in heaven. Yeah. We'll we'll undo the knowledge right of, of good and evil at the tree. 
and just hey, go- I was just thinking about actually what would that tree have looked like what was it you know like very weird like what would it I was like okay you eat this and you get this knowledge now of good and evil I mean obviously they know the good because they know God so they have knowledge of good and so what would that knowledge of evil have been like like I think I think in heaven like in glory we'll have access to that tree because our nature's a little been perfected and so there's like no you know, risk that in our free choice, we're going to somehow choose the evil, which, which is what Adam does. But like, what, like, what was that tree? It's very, very kind of weird to think about. Yeah. I think it's, it's a tree that gave what it promised, but it gave complexity to our lives to the point that we now are unable to discern good from evil properly until grace comes. And then by habit, Hebrew says we learn to discern good from evil and thereby in Paul's language, move from one level of glory to another until we no longer need to discern, but by habit and then by resurrection, ultimately, you the discernment's over. You just know good. So, so you, the, just, you just basically admitted that you don't think that uh, Paul's the writer to the Hebrews. Uh, I mean, I do think that. I guess I don't know that. I, I like origins. Only God knows kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's like hip and cool. It sounds very mystical and smart, too. Only go. God knows. I'm too pious to actually have an opinion. <laughs> uh, I got to go. So we should end here. I felt like this was an interesting episode because I felt dumb the entire time, but. Oh, I think it was okay. good. We were dealing with it. It was good. Okay. So, Thank you okay. So in two months, in two months, then we're going to do a question 15. <laughs> yeah. No, we should. Okay. So next week, we finish next week is just I think... of ideas. I think that one's a short one. So we probably need to do. Yeah. Next time we'll do just do 15 and 16 next yeah, time. Do 15 and 16 relatively next long. Time. Um, yeah, and it, for, you know what? We got to do 17 because it's on falsity as well. So let's do 15, oh, 16, 17. Yeah, it'll be, okay. I think that'll be easy. So it'll be next time. And I'll All talk right. to you then.